Finishing up our series on the Ten Commandments, we kind of went through all of them uh, over the summertime, and we're finishing it today. And one thing that we learned about the commandments is not so much it's about a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? We know that it's about that, but one thing that we learned about the commandments of God, it has to do with our hearts. The one thing that God wants more than anything else is your heart to have a healthy relationship with him and then to have a healthy relationship with other people. Now, I'm gonna, I want to just to ask you a question this morning. If we're really honest with ourselves, because this has everything to do with the 10th commandment. Um, if we're really honest with ourselves, um, how much do we base our opinions about others on outward appearances? Like when you meet, let's be honest, when you meet someone for the first time, we usually judge people, good or bad, usually on the outward appearance. So much of our world is about keeping up with appearances. And really, that's what Facebook is all about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, how many know on Facebook, you, you want to put your best self out there, right? And, and your best life out there so people can see what you're, what you're doing and, and how are things going. But, but there's a little truth in there. and we, um, we don't want to put a bad picture of ourselves out on social media because we know anything that goes online is going to be there for eternity. So we want to be careful with what we put or the pictures that we put out online. Now, I am 55 years old. I know I look 35, but I'm 55 years old. There was a time that I remember, kids, listen up. There was a time where you took a picture on film and then you sent it in to be developed. Remember those days? How do you remember those days? Okay, good. A lot of old people are. So anyways, you, you take in, and then when you'd open up those pictures, right? Remember? You'd open up those pictures and you got what you got. Now, this was horrific for school pictures. How many of you you're not so proud of some of your school pictures. Like they would be taking your school picture and your eyes would be closed and they'd say, here you go. And that would, that would, be, on the, that would be your school pictures. Your eyes are closed. You're not smiling. It, it, it is what it was. It is what it is. And so you just got what you got. So I was kind of uh, perusing in my past and I found this. I think I was in fourth grade. Notice the John Travolta shirt. This was a disco era. Uh, I think that was in Saturday Night Fever. But anyways, that, that's my, you know, so the shirt, oh my goodness, please take, oh my goodness. So that, that's what you got. There's no touch-ups. There, there's, no, there's no filter, hashtag no filter on our school pictures when we were younger. And so you got what you got. And so I want us to understand uh, this morning that now, right now, you can take a perfect picture, you can have filters, but let me ask you a question. What if we lived our lives beneath the surface and not so much caught up in the outward? There's an interesting story in the Old Testament when God was looking for the next king of Israel. And God sent the prophet Samuel out to look for the next king of Israel, and he sent him to the house of Jesse. Now, Jesse had all these sons. And so when the prophet Samuel showed up to Jesse's house, Jesse says, yeah, here are my sons. He showed him seven sons. Here are all my sons. These are strapping, good-looking, tall, big guys. And so one after the other, Samuel says, no, 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 no. Do you have any others? Well, yeah, there's one other, David, but he's out in the field. And uh, you don't want him. He's too small. He's ruddy. Are, are you serious? You want David? Yep, go get him. Gets David, bring him back. That's the one. That's the one I'm going to anoint. And what's interesting, as we see in 1 Samuel 16, 7, listen to what God is concerned with. Because this has everything to do 
with the commandments of God. Listen to what God says. But the Lord said to the, the, the prophet Samuel, he says, listen, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at the heart. The 10th commandment is all about the heart. The things that are beneath the surface. See, it's, it's, not, it's not simply just saying, okay, I didn't lie or I didn't cheat someone, I didn't steal. It really is about the heart. God said, listen, I want to have a correct relationship with you and I want you to have a healthy relationship with one another. That's why Jesus boiled all 613 laws down to two where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. If we got those two things correct, we would have a lot less conflict in our relationships. Think about your life for just a moment. What are the things that you most struggle with? Now, people can struggle with a health ailment, and it's amazing the fortitude that people have to work through and to walk through a health condition or a health ailment that may be in their life. But I've been pastoring full-time now for 31 years, and the things that I've noticed, even in my own life and talking with other people, is the things they struggle with the most is their relationships. Why did this happen to me? Why didn't this work out? Why did this go wrong? And we struggle with our relationships, our family relationships, our work relationships, really. I mean, I tell people all the time, the church would be a perfect place if there's no people in it, right? Because we're all messed up. We all have our dysfunctions. We, we all have our idiosyncrasies, right? To think of your spouse for a moment. Don't, don't say amen, but think of your spouse for a moment. Just that you know their idiosyncrasies. You know their hang-ups, See, we all have those things in our lives. And how do we have healthy relationships when we are so, have so many different issues within our lives? I want you to look at Exodus ch- chapter 20 here and, and let's look at what this last commandment is and let's dig into it and see what God wants for us. It says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, At first glance, this commandment seems like the least of all the others. Like, this doesn't even compare to murder, Pastor. I mean, come on. This is like, okay, coveting. What what does that mean? Um, When was the last time, you you, you may be thinking to yourself, when was the last time that I coveted my neighbor's donkey or ox? Well, wait a minute. We live in Wayne County. Um, (laughs) Could be a problem there. We might, there might be some coveting of some donkeys here in Wayne County. Um, But what I want you to see in this commandment It's really one that is not overtly seen. This one deals with what's going on under the surface. The other commandments, if you think for a moment, are spoken words or actions we commit against God or others. See, this one is much more covert. We can hide this one so much easier. See, the sin of covetousness is at the heart of all the others. So where does murder, lying, adultery, stealing start? It starts in the heart. So what's interesting about this commandment is this. All the other shall not commandments are about our actions and our behavior. You must do this. And we might feel pretty good about ourselves because we may say, well, you know, I, I haven't committed any of the other nine or you know, I haven't murdered any, anybody. But the 10th commandment gets us all. 
It does. It gets to the heart of the matter. It gets beneath the service. I like what Trevin Wax says here. He says, the 10th commandment is the final blow to our pride and self-righteousness. We know in our hearts that we are guilty of this one. Everybody say, ouch. Right? We know we're guilty of this. We know that we've looked at what other people have had and we've made judgments about, well, how who do they think they are flaunting that around? And, you know, oh, they must be in debt because they're driving that. You know, we, we've done that. And, and deep down inside, there's an issue with our hearts. The 10th commandment talks about the propensity of our heart and what we're lured to. We are told not to allow our hearts to covet, to be all consumed with wanting more. And so this commandment goes beneath the surface to our motives and our desires. So what is coveting? Because we don't, we don't use that word coveting a lot in our, in, in our language today, right? You don't, you don't, I don't look over my neighbor and say, man, I'm really coveting that new bass boat he just got, right? I mean, we don't, we don't say that. We don't say, oh, I'm coveting their new car. I mean, we, we don't say that. But what, what's behind it? Well, coveting literally means to desire, it means to desire. It's this overwhelming desire for something. It's having a false idea that this fulfilled desire will bring the happiness you're wanting. So why is God, why is, why is coveting, why does it make the top 10? I mean, why is God so concerned with this one particular commandment? It's because God knows the waywardness of our heart. God knows what we strive for. God knows that we look for things in this world to satisfy us that can never, ever give us the satisfaction and desires that God can. I like what the ESV study notes say here. It says, covetousness places one's ultimate allegiance in the acquisition of the possessions of others, which often leads to other grave sins. So wanting something of someone else, that desire, that misplaced desire of someone else can lead to other grave sins. That is so true. That is such a true statement because what it is is it's a misplaced desire. So let me be clear. It's not wrong to have desires. Um, It's not wrong to, to want certain things, but it's when your desires are misplaced. The issue is not our desires. It's when we desire the wrong things and expect these things to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls, the, calls coveting actually idolatry. So what do I mean by idolatry? Is it, is it worshiping the golden calf like the Israelites did? Is it worshiping a certain thing, a statue? No, what Paul talks about idolatry is when we take something and we replace it and we, don't, and we take God out of the equation. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 5. He says this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So what does, what, what does Paul call an idol? What is actually idolatry? So let me, let me make sense of this. I love what Pastor Tim Keller, he's got some good thoughts about what an idol is. He says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God can be an idol. Anything that is so central or essential to your life that your life would feel hardly worth living should you lose it. That can be an idol. And I like this one particularly. Pastor Tim Keller says an idol can be taking a good thing and then it's making it an ultimate thing. Now, this hits us all where we live, doesn't it? 
Because there can be good things in our lives, and when we look to those things to bring the ultimate satisfaction in our lives, it can be an idol. So it can be our kids. We love our kids. We want our kids to be successful. But when we look to our kids too much to bring satisfaction to our lives, all of a sudden, our lives and our emotions, they escalate up and down to whether or not our kids, our kids are doing well or they're not doing so well. We can, we can base our identity on how well our kids are doing. Our kids are doing really well. But what if our kids aren't doing that well? Well, all of a sudden, our identity drops. And so it's like it's, it's, it's an up and down yo-yo that goes up and down with how well our kids are doing or not doing. That can become an idol. Our, our wealth, uh, you know, trying to get as much as we can in this world. Our jobs can become our idol where it becomes all-consuming because if I can just make another dollar, if I can just get this, if I can just achieve this in my life, those things are not bad within themselves, but when they become ultimate things, they become idols in our lives and they promise things to you that will never deliver. That's what an idol is. It promises things to you. If you just achieve this, if you just get this job, if you just make this much more money, you will achieve. You can just drive this car or have this bass boat. Um, If you can just get there, then you'll achieve it. And you can allow other people to see how important you are. See, at the end of our lives, I've heard no one say, I wish I spent more time at my job. I've never heard. I've been in a lot of deathbeds, and I've never, ever heard someone say, boy, you know, Pastor, I really wish I spent more time at my job. Or could you just bring me my bowling trophies? Because I'd like to hug them one more time. Can, you know, I've never heard that. It's, it's, it's always about relationships. See, at the end of our lives, most people's regrets are not job-related. They're people-related. You see, that's why the commandments are so imperative. Because God says, I want you to have a healthy relationship with me, and I want you to have a, have a healthy relationship with one another. See, the most regrets we have in our lives are regrets because of relationships. And when we get to our lo- end of our lives and we look at our relationships, and if they're not settled, if they're not right, there can be these regrets in our hearts, in our lives. And so we need to work We need to do well at our jobs. All those things are noble pursuits, but they shouldn't become ultimate pursuits because they will never deliver what they promise. And my, listen, as your pastor, my desire for you is that you would have healthy relationships, that you would work on those things. Maybe you've pushed some things under the carpet, like, no, I'm done with that, I'm done with that. But have you done everything you can to make relationships right in your life? Dealing with so many people that have broken relationships in their lives, that's the one usually major regret they have is that there's some relationship in their life that's not intact. There's some relationship that wasn't settled. Um, I want you to think about that because it's important if you're a follower of Jesus Christ to work on those relationships. See, the regrets come when we just put an inordinate time into our work and not the people we love. That is misplaced orders. It's not wrong to have a hobby. It's not wrong to enjoy sports. But the question is, do I spend this inordinate time on these things? And which brings our lives out of order. So what's the answer? What's the answer to our restless heart? What's the answer for us chasing other things that just don't matter or chasing things that ultimately won't matter in our life? Because we all have restless hearts. We want to feel important. We want to feel validated. We want people to think we're important. How do we, how do we answer this, 
this restlessness in our heart. I like what R.C. Sproul says here. He says, The answer to covetousness is not the absence of all desires, as in Buddhism, but rather the cultivation of contentment. What does that mean, the cultivation of contentment? It means being content with what you have. How many of you, you drove here today in your car? Praise God. You've got a car to drive in. You didn't have to walk, right? See, the things, the, the reason why our hearts are wavered, we always think if I had this or if I just had this one step up, I'm going to feel content. How many of you know once you get there, then there's another thing or there's a more improvement or there's more gadgets on your car because they have the new model and you're, there's that constant desire to have the bigger and better. See, that's the proclivity of our heart to chase those things to try to bring fulfillment to our lives. And contentment is the answer to that. I like what Had Robinson says here. It says, covetousness is simply craving more of what you have enough of already. Got to say ouch again. Let's say ouch again to that one, right? That's so true. Covetousness is simply craving more of what you have enough of already. So we covet what others have because we want to measure our success or our worth by what we possess. So what coveting actually does is it creates this debt within your heart of wanting more. So I'd say, if if I can just fulfill this debt by getting this thing, then it's going to make me feel better. And I love, this is one of my favorite quotes concerning this of of coveting creates a debt because I love this quote. It says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. (laughs) Right? It's true. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even really like. It's so true. That's the proclivity of our heart. So let me give you some tremendous theological insight here. So you want some tremendous to help us with this coveting and to settle our hearts and to be content with the things that the Lord has given us. Let me give you this great theologian. His name is Snoopy. So let me show you this. Snoopy here, I love this cartoon. So Snoopy is, is you know, he's, uh, he's, not, he's getting dog food for, for Thanksgiving, right? So he says, how about that? Everyone's eating turkey today. But just because I'm a dog, I get to eat dog food. Of course, he says it might be worse. Why? He goes, I could have been born a turkey. So (laughs) Snoopy's got it right. Snoopy's got it right. Be content with the dog food. It could be worse. Everybody say amen. It It could be worse. So how do I combat this? How do I combat the, the lusts in my heart? How do, how do I stop looking um, at my neighbor's stuff or, or the stuff in this world or trying to have my kids fulfill my desires and my identity? How do I stop doing that? Is it, is it simply by saying, stop it? Remember the Bob Newhart show? He was a psychologist and people that would come into his office and they would tell him all his problems and he would just look across the desk and say, stop it, stop it. Just stop it. Now, is it, is it simply just saying stop it? No, it's not that easy. I love what uh, St. Augustine, early church father, said about the de- desires of our heart and how do we change those desires? How do we enjoy the things that God has given us? Because God blesses us and we should enjoy the things that we have. We should enjoy our car. We should enjoy our houses. The, the, that's fine to enjoy those things. Just don't make them ultimate Things. I love what St. Augustine says here. He says it so well when he says that we need rightly ordered loves. Now, what, what did St. Augustine mean by rightly ordered loves? Here's where Jesus Christ comes into the equation. Jesus changes our hearts and he actually reorders 
our priorities. He actually reorders our loves and gives us a new love that, 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 isn't, that isn't driven by the things in this world that are here one day and gone the next. But what he does is he reorders our love. How many of you, you remember when you came to Christ and you said, you know what, I'm going to be a follower of Christ and I'm going to lay my life down at his feet. How many of you remember how things began to change in your heart? The, the things that you thought were really important weren't that important anymore. The things you used to chase after, remember that? Remember the things you used to chase after and you thought, well, this is going to be good, another party, blah, blah, blah. And you thought, well, this is going to do. And all of a sudden it was like that desire changed. Because what Jesus did is he gave you a new desire. He gave you an ultimate desire. And most of all, he gave you an eternal desire that this world can never give you. You see, what Jesus Christ does for us that we can't do for ourselves is he gives us an identity. He gives us a new love. He gives us a new perspective of this world that we didn't see before that. You see, Jesus Christ came not to, not to be served, but, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom, to show his grace and to show his love to us, to show us a different way of living and not to be caught up in the things of this world. And I know about my heart. My heart can just chase things in this world thinking, oh, if, you know, if I had this, we think we're going to be happy, but it never, it never pans out that way. But Jesus says, I want to reorder your loves. See, when we are consumed with the love of Christ, our desires change. And it gets to the point where I need to say to my heart that he is all I need. See, we can enjoy the things of this world without them becoming ultimate things. And when Jesus is our priority, he puts a fresh perspective, a new perspective on the things of this world so that these things don't become the thing that drive us. The thing that drives us is our ambition to want to serve and know Jesus Christ. See, the, the gospel message is, is, is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's not complex. It's very simple. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for lost people. Jesus came to give us a brand new life. And when he changes your heart, he changes your life. He changes everything about that. And so our pursuit of Jesus needs to be consistent because how many know the world gets right in there again? We need to remind ourselves that he is all I need. It's funny when I do sermons like this, somehow God reminds me during the, the week. So yesterday, Kathleen and I, we, had to, uh, we were out and about town yesterday. I'm driving out. Everybody must, I, if some of you are new here, I love to fish. So you, those of you that are, 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 are members of the church, you, you understand, I, I love to fish. Amen. You guys know I love to fish. I did no fishing this summer. I'm so depressed, by the way. Didn't do enough fishing. So pray for me because I'm a little depressed about that. But I love to fish. So yesterday, we're, we're driving on 104, and for some reason, everybody must, get, everybody must have been fishing that day because I saw so many wonderful, beautiful bass boats pass me. Now, I have a boat that's about 32 years old. And when I back that boat in, people actually feel sorry for him. They're like, are you okay? Are, is that going to work? Are you going to be able to start? I go, no, it works great. I, it, it gets me from point A to point B. But I'm going down and I'm seeing all these big 250 horse mercs, beautiful. And I'm going, I go, Catherine, look at that one. Wow, here comes, wow, here comes, look at that one. Look at that. Wow, that's nice. 
That's it, right? And the Lord's like, Bart, guess what you're preaching on tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I'm preaching on covetousness. Um, sorry, Lord, so I need to repent. That's just between you and I today, just exposing my heart. I need to repent. But how many know it's so easy for the world just to slip back in there? And I got to remember, Lord, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for everything that you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my little 14-foot fishing boat that my father-in-law gave me before he passed away. 20-horse Avenue route that still works. Thank you for that. It's so easy to lose perspective in our world today and to lose sight of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. He gave his life so we could spend eternity with him. I love what the Apostle Paul says here to the church in Rome. He kind of sums up the whole commandments for us. So this is a summary of all the commandments, and I'm going to finish with this verse. Listen to what he says, Romans 13. He says, For the commandments say, You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and all the other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. Listen to what Paul says. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. At the heart of the commandments is our love for God and our love for one another. The only way my love can change in my heart because I'm a selfish person and I want things to work out for me, the only way for that is for Christ to break me of my selfishness and my will and to show me the way to God. And what Jesus did for you and I is he gave us everything. He gave up everything. He came from heaven to reach us in the midst of our sin, to show us our grace that we didn't deserve. When I understand the grace of Christ, it changes my heart to love him the way he needs to be loved and then to love my neighbor the way my neighbor needs to be loved. Even my irritating neighbor that I, that, well, I have good neighbors. I'm not using my neighbors, but I know some of you may have irritating neighbors or that coworker or that family member. God's love changes my heart to pray for them, to love our enemies, Jesus tells us to do. The only way I can do that is if I have the love of Christ that has broken my heart to realize that I am the most undeserving sinner on the face of the earth yet Jesus still died for Barton. And I'm thankful for that. That's the gospel message. So when Jesus changes your heart, he reorders your love, your love. So there's nothing in this world that can satisfy like the love of Christ. So love does not wrong or take from anyone else. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus, everything Jesus does, he did to benefit us everything he did. I didn't bring anything to the table that Jesus gave everything for you and I. So covetousness is broken through contentment, serving others. It's broken by understanding the grace that's been bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a a, a question this morning. How are you doing? Is, Is your heart restless this morning? Have things not worked out the way you planned them? How, how many can I honestly say when we look at our lives, if you've lived any amount of time, you look back and say, yeah, everything worked out perfect, just like I thought. It doesn't. 
Yet there's God's grace and God works through all of them. Is your heart restless? God says, bring that restless heart to me and let me reorder your loves because you will never find it in this world. Jesus came to rescue us from this world, to bring us to a much better place. Jesus said to his disciples before he would leave, he said, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. We were never meant to live in this world. Jesus came to rescue us from this world. So I don't know where your heart is today. I don't know if it's restless. I don't know if you're disappointed. I don't know if you're bitter. I don't know where your heart is today. I don't know if things haven't worked out or you've, you've just, you're just, there's a discontentment in your heart today. I would say lay that before the Lord today and let Jesus reorder your loves today as you give your heart and your life to him. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we just come before you right now and we thank you, Jesus, that you care enough about us that you did something about it by coming to this world and giving your life for us. Lord, I pray for every heart here today, those watching online that just feel dis, just there's this, there's this discontentment in their hearts, Lord. There's a restlessness in their heart. And that's because we're looking for things in this world to satisfy us that can never do that. Only you can do that, Jesus. So Lord, I pray for our, our hearts today. I pray for our restlessness. Lord, I pray that you would reorder our loves today. You would reprioritize our hearts today. And that we would know that when we are consumed with you, you change our hearts, you change our desires. And the things of this world do not have the desire that they used to have when we are consumed with you because you change our hearts. Change us in the way we love you. Change us in the way we, we treat other people because if your grace has truly changed us, then it's going to be seen in the way we love and we treat others, God. So change us today, I pray. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. All God's children said, amen. We're going to close in song today. Let me just tell you, I love this worship song. Um, as we sing this in closing today, would you just make it your prayer today? If there's anything that you need to lay before the Lord, Jesus is here. He's waiting for you just to come and to lay those things at his feet. Maybe you're struggling with relationships. Maybe you're struggling with the priorities. Maybe you're struggling with your identity. Jesus says, come. You know what? He can handle it. He can forgive and you can find his grace. So would you stand with me if you're able and let's sing this in closing. God bless you.